Today's passage comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Okay, good morning. Everybody good? All right. Good. Good to see you. My name is Tommy. Put this right over here. Rearrange the furniture before we get going. Good. Good to see you all. Many. Hey, what's up? Many of you saw you last year. Good to see you again. Um, see you at in April at Easter. And uh, it's really great to have you guys here. My name is Tommy. I'm the pastor here. And uh, so what we do is is uh, is we study the Bible and uh, and uh, ancient ancient writing that uh, we are doing everything we can to read in an ancient light. And so um, I like to to point out a bunch of things maybe that you haven't seen, maybe that you, there's no way you would see unless you uh, were like aware of the first century and and the world in which they were living. And so we're going to do some of that this morning. And uh, um, I just want to take a moment. We're going to pray and we're going to thank God that we made it. Here we are. Christmas is in two days. Your shopping is done. I'm telling you, it's done. Like there's, it's too late. So what you have is what you have. So look around your house to give some stuff away, those of you who didn't finish. And uh, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to pray and we're going to put all the craziness out of our heads and we're going to ask for sort of presence, um, not just of us, of presence of mind and heart, but for the presence of God, uh, the presence of love and wisdom. Um, and let's pray and thank God for, uh, for this day, shall we? Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we come to you and we, we, first off, we thank you for everything that we have received from you. Um, every article of clothing, every scrap of food, every car, every house, every bed, everything that we have um, is a gift. Uh, and we receive it with joy. And we praise you for it. Um, I ask that you would um, 
open our eyes and open our hearts and our minds to um, to what you want us to uh, to understand and grasp this morning and receive. I lift up every person here. I lift up those who are celebrating and those who are filled with joy. May we celebrate with them. I lift up those who are suffering or those who are lonely or those who are struggling and I ask that uh, we would be present with them um, in heart and in spirit and presence that we would look them in the eye and listen to their stories and and uh, put our arms around them and give them hope and uh, empty ourselves for them and whatever they need and provide for them. Let us be um, your presence here in the lives of each other and the lives of our city. Um, as we read this ancient text, give us ancient understanding and uh, help us grasp things in a way that we haven't before. Speak through me, allow me to remember the things I've studied and, and allow me to, to not be distracted and allow me to be uh, present and to give everything I can in the next few minutes. Help us to receive it and respond with everything that we have. In your name, amen. Okay, so we're going to start right here. Um, so this is one of the more well-known passages in scriptures. Uh, it, uh, let's, just, let's just read it. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And this shall be a sign unto you that you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So, um, again, this is one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. If you were to go out on the streets today and you were to just, like, proclaim it out loud, people would think you're weird, but they would know what you're talking about. They would know what you're saying. They would know what you're referring to. Because today, when you, when you proclaim these words, people have specific things in their mind. They think of Christmas, modern-day trees and, and Christmas lights and candy canes and all of these Western things um, that we have injected into sort of this text and these words. Um, but it was not always like this. There was a time when these words had specific meaning to a specific people that meant something that uh, most of us have n- no idea that it meant to them and could not ponder today. Um, and so what I want to do is I want to get into the minds of the people who received this word, who, whom this word was spoken to. And what they heard. Because we hear sort of Western Christmas. What did they hear? Um, now, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going st- to start here. I- I'm going to give you a piece of information that many of you maybe have never heard. Most of you hopefully have. Um, Jesus was not born on December 25th. We're going to start there. Very simple. Okay? Perhaps it's the first time you've ever heard that. You think I'm crazy. Stay with me. Okay? Um, he was not born on December 25th. Um, that is, there, and there's a lot of reasons that we know this. Let's, let's go through some of these. Now I'm going to go all over the place today. Okay. We're going to end up hopefully in a cohesive place that brings all of this into one thing. All right. Just stay with me and go with me on a journey this morning. Okay, here we go. Um, now the Jewish people in the first century, um, did not celebrate, um, birthdays. No one in the Bible that is sort of on the good team. No one is celebrating birthdays. Nobody. You know who's celebrating birthdays? Uh, Pharaoh is celebrating birthdays. Um, and how did he celebrate birthdays? The Egyptians were way into birthdays. Now, it, for them, it was like they had this pagan, foreign, bizarre idea that the month in which you were born like, meant something about you. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> they, and so they would, they would celebrate your birthdays. Now, um, Pharaoh, there's a, a particular story in the book of Genesis where... Pharaoh, on his birthday, hangs a baker. It's one of the ways he celebrates. We're going to hang the baker for my birthday, and they did. Um, And then there's another guy, King Herod, looking 
in this picture, like he wasn't ready for the picture. Um, <laughs> he's just, just like, not yet. Let me get my sword out. Um, <laughs> now, uh, Herod also celebrated birthdays. And on his birthday, he beheaded John the Baptist. So birthdays were not necessarily like this bright thing that they are today. Um, they were something different. And uh, the Jewish people and the Jewish Christians, um, by the way, Jesus was Jewish too. We're not going to go into that today. Um, but they, they, they did not celebrate birthdays. They were, they were more concerned with death days, how and when people died, the circumstances with which they died, and they commemorated those days. And on the year of um, sort of the anniversary of so-and-so's death, they did this. And they would take bones and they would move them to new places. And they, they sort of commemorated death days, mostly. Um, However, when around the the, uh, third or fourth century, when when Constantine came into power, um, the head of the Roman Empire, he he converted, I'm going to use quotes, converted to Christianity. Um, He he didn't really, he he never actually became, I I would argue, not a follower of Christ. But he used the Christian religion um, as the banner for the Roman Empire. Um, Instead of fighting against the Christians, he sort of, well, you know what, I'm going to nullify all this by making... Uh, our empire, sort of a Christian thing. Um, and he sort of formed sort of the beginning of what would become the Holy Roman Empire. And he was, in the Greco-Roman world, you celebrated birthdays. And so you're going to celebrate the birthday of Christ. Um, so what are you going to do? When are you going to celebrate it? Well, the Romans had particular celebrations. There was a celebration that they had called Saturnia. And on Saturnia, it was this sort of pagan winter solstice um, festival. It would go for a few days and the people would celebrate. And this goes back through a lot of cultures, a long ways. The Egyptians celebrated it. Um, uh, Stonehenge, I believe, was built to sort of commemorate the winter solstice. But they called it Saturnia there. And the uh, Constantine, the Roman Empire, uh, uh, the head of the Roman Empire said, okay, so there's already a festival. They're already having a party. We've already decorated. We're going to have the birthday of Jesus celebrated on this day, right? Because we all already have the day off. So, they did, and they started celebrating Jesus' birthday on Saturnia. And the more fundamentalist Romans were upset about it. They were all, no, keep Saturn in Saturnia. And they're like, no, we're going to do Christmas. And so that's what they did. Um, they started celebrating Christmas, the birth of Christ, on sort of December 25th, okay? Which leaves a sort of an opening for like a question that you have, which is like, well, then when was Jesus born? Um, we celebrate birthdays, right? Like, when was Jesus born? Um, <clears throat> the answer to that question, to me, is one of the more fascinating things because uh, Luke gives us plenty of information about this. Um, and it's stuff that the early readers picked up on and understood. They can look at the text and they, can, they know when Jesus was born. They could see it in the text. So we're going to start with that um, because there's some stuff going on when Jesus is born that is fascinating and that to me is, is really important for how we are to celebrate holy days, okay? So we're going to start here. Um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So um, I talk a lot about shepherding here. Um, it's a concept which is all through the Bible. Um, um, the Jewish people were, were very sort of semi-nomadic. They, were, they kept livestock. They were lots and lots of shepherds. The shepherds were sort of the low end of the spectrum of status in the, uh, in the Jewish world. They weren't highly respected at all. Um, they were just sort of the grunt workers at the very bottom. Um, and so in that day, people tended their sheep 
um, in, in the wilderness, in the Negev. Um, and so when the scriptures talk about, um, he leads me beside green pastures, this is what it's talking about, literally. Um, so what are they eating? So, okay, so they eat, you can see a little sprig of it right over there. There's, there's this grass that comes up um, that grows from dew. Um, from very dewy nights. It, it, it's it's uh, different climates over there. And at night, the dew falls and these little green grasses, they puff up, they turn green and they come up out of the ground. And throughout the day, the shepherd will, will lead their sheep through the Negev um, to the places where they will just pull the weeds out from the rocks and just eat that. And throughout the day, the shepherd knows where to take these sheep to where the sun has not yet scorched these plants by midday, Okay. Um, so he's going to lead them around all the places they go. And there's all kinds of passages in the scripture that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. All this stuff. Um, he leads me into green pastures and still waters. And so there's all this language there that the shepherd knows where to take the sheep when they need food. When it says he leads me to green pastures, what he's not saying is he led us to this pasture with like grass up to our, up to our bellies. And we just ate and ate for days and we're fattened. No, like it's this constant, like here's what you need right now. Okay, we'll go over here. This is what you need right now. And we'll go over here and that's what you need then. And so the idea of give us today our daily bread, that's where all of this comes from. Shepherding was a very different thing then, okay? You actually had to keep the sheep moving to the places where you knew the food was gonna be lest they die of heat stroke or whatever. Now, there was one time a year when the shepherd would lead the sheep to a field where there really was lots to eat. Um, it It was at the end of the harvest, um, and at the end of the harvest, uh, end of October, uh, end of September, beginning of October, what you'll see is all the farmers are harvesting all the grain or whatever they've been growing. And the shepherds are going to line up along the edge of the fields where the rocks are. And they're going to wait there because the, the second, the last of the, of the grain is harvested, they're going to lead the sheep into the field. And this is like this, there's this sort of, um, sort of very choreographed dance that the, that the farmers and the shepherds do. Because if, if, a, if a shepherd's sheep wander onto the field and start eating the field, eating the food, um, before the harvest is done, that sheep will get killed by the farmers, okay? It's very important that the people have their food, that every, every, last, every last grain is picked and bushel together. Then, when the last part is picked, the shepherds will all run onto the field with their sheep, and they will start eating, and they'll fertilize the field, and their hooves will stomp it and aerate it. And it's sort of everyone wins at this point, okay? So they did this once a year. There was like a week where they did this. Um, and there's no other time in the entire year because these fields are right next to the city, right next to the city, and, and, and the, the shepherds have their, their sheep way out in the, in the wilderness. And this is the time where they come near the city and they bring their sheep on there. So when you read the text in, in Luke chapter two, it says this, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, nearby what? Nearby the city, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So we know about what time of year it is here. There's like a week span of during the harvest. This is either end of, end of September, beginning of October. All right. So this is when Jesus was born. Now, um, because they're, they're in the fields, very small window of, of time for this to happen. Now, um, there's a lot more in the text. So we've got like sort of a window here and there's more in the text because a lot of scholars, um, they will point out there were festivals. There are about four or five of them back to back. One would end and the other would start. One would end and the other would start. They would kind of overlap. The Jewish people had tons of festivals throughout the year. And at this point, there are four or five festivals that lined up back to back right here. So Jesus is born during one of these festivals. Okay, and this is 
Um, really important because when you read the words that the angels brought to the shepherds, they kind of give it up. They kind of let you know, okay? So the angels show up to the shepherds and it says this, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the nations. Now, um, there was a festival during that harvest period that was called Sukkot. It was also called the Feast of All Nations, okay? Um, during the Feast of All Nations, uh, it was a seven-day festival, and every single day you would offer a new sacrifice. On day one, there's 13 bulls. On day two, there's 12 bulls. Day three, there's 11. Day four, 10. Day five, nine. Day six, eight. And day six, seven bulls. Now, it's very, very specific. And the question is, why? Why, are we, why the specificity of the numbers? Like, why um, this many animals are being sacrificed? Um, well, the reason that it's called the Feast of All Nations is because um, at the beginning of scriptures in the book of Genesis, it talks about God dividing up his people, humankind, into 70 nations. And if you add up how many sacrifices are offered, there are 70 sacrifices, one for every nation of the world, to bless them, to restore them, and to reconcile. It's like a prayer. It is, it is a reminder to them, this is why we exist. We are here for the redemption of all people everywhere. That our life is not about us. Nothing we own, nothing we have, nothing we do is supposed to center around our own thriving. It is all about other nations and not our own. This is how, this is how the people of God believed. And so every day they would offer sacrifices for the nations, okay? And so when the, when the angels show up and they say, they say, we bring um, good news that will cause great joy for all nations, that is the first hint that this is during the Feast of All Nations or Sukkot. And there's another one, and it's right here underlined right here in, in verse 10. I will bring you good news that will cause great joy. Now, <clears throat> the last day of the festival uh, of Feast of All Nations of Sukkot, when they are offering seven bulls, um, the Jewish number of perfection, when they would offer this, um, the priests would head down to the wells and go to different wells in the city, and the people would gather around the wells, the water wells, and the priests would begin to draw water from the wells. It was a specific festival, and it was called um, uh, Simchat Beit Hashoeva. Everyone say that. I'm just joking. You don't have to. Um, now, um, Simchat, ha- uh, Simchat Beit Hash- <laughs> Hashoeva. So, I don't do Hebrew. It's not Greek to me. Um, now, I got jokes. Yes, second service. I got them. Okay. Now, so the priests are gathering around and the priests are drawing water from the wells. And here's what they do. They pass out this water. They pour it into cups and they start passing it around to everyone gathered around. And the people, it's, it sounds crazy. The people begin to jump and dance and shout for joy and celebrate. And they begin to like laugh and just party while drinking water, throwing it around. It's the water celebration, right? Like it's, it was this massive party where the people would celebrate water. When was the last time you did that? And they would celebrate water, okay? Now, um, we have a lot of writing about this. It's something they would do every year. Um, there's a, there's a, a passage in the Mishnah where one of the rabbis says, anyone who has not seen Simchat Beit Hashueva has never seen joy in all his life. Like he talks about how you can hear this from really far away, okay? The shepherds in the fields would hear this. These people partying it up and celebrating 
the, the water fight of all nations, okay? Like, like the, the, the water celebration, okay? Um, and this was a huge deal to them. It, it comes from um, Isaiah chapter 12 where he says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds amongst, uh, among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously, and let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And this is the scripture. They would be announcing and proclaiming and singing. There were songs that they would sing. And as they're doing all this, they're just filled with joy. So, um, if you read about this festival, one of the things that you will find is the songs that they were singing included some of the lines that the angels are actually singing to the shepherds. When they get up and they sing, we, we bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all nations. All of this is centered around the festival of Sukkot, the feast of all nations. This is when Christ was born, when he enters into the world, um, what, the one who would call himself living water, okay? All of that is here in this text. And Luke is, is communicating much more than like when Jesus was born. Luke is communicating a lot. And Let's go a little farther because there's one more tradition in the Feast of Sukkot, which is perhaps the most important and the most telling. Um, The first day of the celebration of the seven-day festival, on the very first day, um, you would build what's called a sukkah. It's a hut that you would make made out of stuff just laying around, okay? You would walk out into like the wilderness and you'd say, well, here's a, okay, we've got some poles. We'll put these up and we'll get some grass and we'll make the, the sides and we'll put some sticks for the top. The only rule is, there's two rules. It must be made of, um, of impermanent materials that you found lying around, just natural materials. Um, and uh, you have to be able to see at least three stars through the roof. Um, and they would live in this hut for seven days and they would build this thing. Um, and they would live in this thing for seven days. The whole point of the sukkah, okay, it was, it was filled with theological significance. Uh, they would lay in this thing at night. And imagine you're laying there at night and you're staring up at the stars. Um, and here's the point. As you sit in this rickety booth that could, a strong gust of wind and this whole thing is going to fall over, okay? And you're, you can't have four walls on it. It can only have three. And so you're open to the elements. It's maybe cold. If it starts raining, it's all over. Um, if uh, wild animals are out there, it's, there's an element of danger, of insecurity. All of that is something you are supposed to feel during the Feast of All Nations, during Sukkot. Okay? And you realize as you're laying in this thing, staring at the stars as the wind is blowing through this thing, uh, you begin to realize that your security doesn't come from the walls around you that you construct. You begin to realize that, that, that everything that you have, everything that you, you own, Everything you've interacted with this very day is a gift to you from God. None of it is yours or of your own doing. God chose where you, where you would be born, when you would be born, the things you would be born with. And everything that actually exists that, that you take as either a gift from yourself or other people, it's all from God. And this is the great reminder of it. It's a reminder of them as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and that every day they would wake up with... Um, we don't know what we're going to eat. We don't know where we're going to sleep. We don't know what we're going to do. We're just following a cloud. And every morning when we wake up, there's a little bit of food and I can't save any of it. And so all of this is like, a, it's almost a celebration that everything is impermanent and that everything is going away. 
and that none of this will stay. And so while you have it, it is a gift and you should live in it and enjoy it and ponder it. And as you ponder it, you will be able to receive it more. It's also, you get, you, you get this sense of this feeling of what it's like to follow God. The feeling of insecurity um, at the same time as feeling incredibly blessed. Like, none of this, a week, from, a week after they build this hut, it, it falls over, gets knocked down. A month later, you'll never know it was there. It's all disintegrated, blown away, washed away, whatever. It's all gone. And so there's this sense as you sit in it, they're like, this is temporary. And there's this feeling of insecurity. But at the same time, it's like, but it's here right now. And it's mine. And it's a gift. And there is a response of thankfulness. Um, And it's remembering that everything that is sheltering you and feeding you came from God's earth and is a symbol of his salvation. So, with those three things in mind, you have the Feast of All Nations. You have the celebration of, uh, uh, that, that God wants his people to focus on the reconciliation and restoration of all people everywhere. And then you have the water celebration, celebrating um, the gifts that water is. The fact that, that, you know why they're celebrating water? Because they just harvested, harvested their crops, something that would not have been possible had four months ago it not been raining. That's why they're celebrating. So they're celebrating that God has provided for them everything that they just, now they get to live another year. If it hadn't rained, Thousands of people would have died. That's why they're so excited. That's why they're celebrating. It's this act of pure joy and thankfulness that like we have food this year. We don't need to worry about that right now. And we're going to receive it. We're going to celebrate it. And then there's this memory of like them walking through the desert as well. And not, there's like, there's like, a, there's like wells of water that God is just giving them out of nowhere. And the story, in, the, in the story of the Exodus, there's water coming out of rocks. There's bitter water being turned pure again. Um, and it's also, so it's thankfulness for like where God has brought them from. And it's also a thankfulness for like where they're going. We already have this. We have trusted God this far. We have always been provided for. And as we move forward, I think we should learn to trust God more. If we look back and see everything that has been done, maybe we can look forward and see that it's, it'll be okay. Okay, so there's all of that. The, the, amount, the amount of meaning in all of this is incredible. So maybe you've picked up on what exactly is happening here. Um, because they, for, for like 1,800 years, they had been celebrating this festival. Where we offer sacrifices for the restoration of the nations, where we, we celebrate water and the gift of life, and where we live in these, in these rickety booths that are temporary. And on this day, when the angels showed up, and spoke to these shepherds in the field, they came to this realization of what all this was about. Like, all of this was never about religious ritual. None of this is. None of it is. The, the observance of, of Christmas is not about being a religious ritual. You know what it is? It's like, okay, so I, I, have, a, I have a dog, and her name is Moxie, and she's very fluffy, and her eyes are covered, and she can't see well. And oftentimes I will say, Moxie, look over there, or a squirrel or something. And you know where she looks? Right at my finger. I'm like, look over there. And I look at her. She's like looking at my hand. Okay. Now, she doesn't get it. I think that's, that's sort of like what's happening here. Like God for, for centuries had been saying, look over there. Like, Cecil, celebrate these festivals. You know what you should do? Celebrate this festival. And here's how you should do it. The whole time thinking that they're going to get it. And they're going to understand what God is saying. Like, like they're going to get it. But, but they never do. They don't get it. Until this very year where these shepherds are in the field and the angels show up and tell them, okay? 
that, that this particular year, on this year, the first year number one in Sukkot, God joins them in their festival. God is, like the angels show up and say, hey, um, God has a sacrifice for the nations too. And then he says, oh, by the way, um, you're gonna draw more water than you, than you ever thought possible, living water. And then God joins them in Sukkot in the tabernacle. He says, oh, by the way, God is also going to move into an impermanent shelter in the form of a human being that is here today and could be gone tomorrow and in fact would decay and be destroyed. All of it, God is joining them in their religious, religious rituals and injecting them with more meaning than they ever saw. Um, and there's, all of this is incredible because the, 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 for the first time, Human beings now understand what this festival was about. And what's fascinating is that God didn't tell the religious leaders in the temple what the festival was about. Never did. These guys are standing in this field and they can hear the festivals going on. And by the way, a lot of scholars say that when these guys showed up, the angels showed up and started singing these songs, that the angels, uh, the, the shepherds likely knew what they were singing and likely joined in and sang with them. So it's like while we can hear everybody in the city Celebrating these things, you know, these guys are out here working the night shift. Like, we can't be a part of it. We're like the lowest of the low. Somebody's got to do the work while you guys are out there having your religious celebrations. They don't even get to be a part of it. And so God brings it to them. In chapter one in Luke, we're in the temple. The narrator has the whole story in the temple. In chapter three in Luke, the whole story is in the temple. God doesn't show up at either of those things. He shows up to the people working the night shift who are left out of the religious celebration. Because that's what God does. I mean, look at, look at how this goes. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see about this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. They, they had never heard anything like this. Nobody had. And they suddenly understand the entire point of the festivals. Um, in verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was, who was lying in the manger. That's why they left. That's why they hurried off. They're like, for the first time, we understand this thing. Let's go. Um, verse 17, and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told, uh, told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds now become the great preachers to the world. The lowliest of the low become the ones with the word of God who understand and have a message for those who are part of the religious celebrations. And they, I hate to interrupt your religious celebration, but I have a real message from God here for you. And the people hear the shepherds talking and they're amazed, it says, because they're all hearing this for the first time and they're understanding fully what all of this is about. It's about, it's about the Messiah. And this is the thing I love about, about the scriptures. One of my favorite things about the Bible is that every time God is revealed, <clears throat> to people, he is, he is rarely revealed, if ever, through like the spiritual elite, through the pastor, through the priest. He is almost always revealed, uh, for, I mean, through, through, through the lowest of the low. There's, there's Mary, the poor Galilean girl. Um, there's the shepherds in the field, the lowest. Like these, these are very young people in the field. I mean, we picture these guys with like big beards and stuff. Um, they were likely, again, young teenagers, Okay, um, uh, the, the, the women at the tomb were the first ones. The women at the tomb were the first ones to realize and to see like this new world revealed, like the seed of this new world, the first sprout coming up out of the ground. And they are the ones who get to announce, preach for the first time the resurrection of Jesus. 
these women. Now, um, uh, the disciples, every disciple whom he chose was basically a failed rabbinical student. They're fishermen now and they're tax collectors and like traders to their own people. There's religious sort of zealots who were like sort of like um, outcasts of the regular Jewish society. And Jesus chooses all these people. He says, this is perfect. This is exactly who I need to tell my story. Because the message of God is best proclaimed not from the pastor, not from the religious elite, not from the theologian. It is always best proclaimed um, from, from the lowly, from the child, from the poor, the prisoner, the homeless, the minority, the outcast, the sexual minority, those that we consider sinners. Those are the people whom we need to sit and listen to the Christmas story from. Because those are the people whom God is speaking to and saying, Life is a gift. My love for you is a gift, and I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. And oftentimes, we assume that, like, well, it's obvious God wants me to be a part of what he's doing. And then God is telling the people, hey, I have somebody that you need to listen to. They're coming into the city right now from out in the fields, and I've given them a special message, and you need to sit and you need to listen. And so when my kids, when I ask them to tell, tell me the, uh, the Christmas story, that's the best time to listen, okay? Not from me. Because they, they have a specific calling to understand. Like, they, they have a specific way of communicating from, from their position of, like, of like lowliness. And they have to be taken care of. And, like, they can't provide for themselves. So for them to proclaim the, Christ, the Christmas message is particularly important. Um, Jesus, at every turn, he starts his work with these kinds of people. I mean, these shepherds are... Um, they're sleeping in the fields with their, with, with, out there taking care of the livestock. They're, they're, they're working the midnight shift. They have been left out of the religious celebrations, and God says, I'm bringing it to you. Okay. Now, one of my favorite things about this text is that it starts off with Caesar, right? And what's he doing? He's, he's, it says, Caesar's taking a census. You know what that is? It's a really rich, powerful man um, trying to count up how powerful he actually is. Let's see how powerful I am. I want you to take a census. I want to know how many people are in my empire, how many people I rule over, and how many people are taxable so that I can bring in more cash and do more things and expand my empire more and build more statues of myself everywhere. This is what they did. This is why. So when the story starts with Caesar is taking a census, and while Caesar is taking a census of how powerful he is, the king of the entire world is being born in the lowliest of places, in a manger. His message is being proclaimed to the lowliest of people. This is the army that he's building up, right? The rejected and the outcast. These are the ones whom he's starting with. And he says, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna level things out because in God's kingdom, um, everyone is equal and everyone is in service of the other. And, and so when you read the story, you come to the very end of it, you, you begin to realize that, Christmas, much like the Jewish festivals, is a finger pointing at something else. And so I'm, I'm planning on having this conversation with my kids. We sort of started at dinner the other night. I said, I said, okay. I sort of explained how the festivals are a finger pointing at something else. The word Torah for law, the Hebrew word Torah, literally means a finger pointing. That's what it means. It's like, that's the way. That's the way humanity is supposed to go, okay? Um, and so I'm going to talk to them about Christmas. I'm going to ask them, and you should do this too. Ask them, hey, tell me the Christmas story. Now, what do you think that's pointing at? What do you think that means? Like, they're going to start off with the surface area questions and stuff and, 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 and talk about presents and gifts and all that. But there's a deeper meaning. It is a finger pointing. It is, if you, if you compare it with sort of the festival that was going on there, um, Christmas is a, is, is a finger pointing because we have 
this reminder in the Sukkot festivals that all that all that we have is meant to bring flourishing to the world around us, not to ourselves. And second, we have this thing that everyone is thirsty for that fills us with hope and life and purpose. And third, there's this message there about, about how we are here for a short period of time. Um, everything that we have, well, it's, it's all sort of temporary. It, it breaks down, it falls apart, our own lives and God actually joined us in that. He joins us in that. The things that are broken in your life, he joins us in that. All of this, all of these things should cause us, like Christmas Day, to give of ourselves. If I can't keep it, if it's not going to be here, you know what? I can keep the joy that I get from sort of giving it. That's why we give. I'm not against the tradition. Like, I love, I love the wrapping of the gifts and, and giving them all out. Like, I think, it's, I think it's a beautiful way to celebrate God entering into this world. Um, at every turn, there is another reason to give it away. Another reason. And so, as we, uh, as I sort of wrap this thing up, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to sing two more songs. Um, on the last song, we're going to light our candles. And uh, this is sort of going to be our, our communion for the day. All right? We always have too many people on, on Easter and Christmas to, to really have communion. So, um, here's what we're going to do. Um, I want us to ponder... Um, what it means for the shepherds themselves to receive this message rather than, rather than it coming to the high holy places controlled by, the, by the, the, the intellectual and the powerful. It is controlled and, and by nobody and given to everybody. I want us to ponder all of this. I want us to ponder what it means that we're, we are called to, to bless all nations, to help them receive joy and thrive. I want us to ponder um, as well the fact that our lives right now, as we have them, is temporary. Um, and God knows that. And God entered into that so that we could find new life, so that we could find a new way, um, so that we could find eternal life, so we could live for eternal things now. Um, and so in all of this, uh, we respond through song. And so I'm going to pray, and I want you to stand and join us uh, for one last song today. Shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for entering into all of this, for finding us in the times when we're not expecting you, the times where we have maybe either shrugged off religion or whatever, spirituality, the times where we have sort of been left out of it all because of decisions that we've made or, 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 or our status is not high enough or we have a specific identity. I, I ask that you would make known to us that you meet us where we are, that you are for us, that you are inviting us to take part, that you have a role for us to play in your kingdom and the redemption of all things. And uh, I ask that as we move towards um, the day where we celebrate the birth of Jesus of Nazareth into this world, I ask that you would uh, help us to understand that all of this is about giving of ourselves, allowing ourselves like you to be broken and poured out so that others can find life and hope again. Thank you for all this. In your name. Amen. We're going to sing more songs. Please stand and join us. Merry Christmas, Watermark. Merry Christmas.